we're going to continue today the study that we've been involved in for, believe it or not, about three months. I usually try to keep our, our teaching series to about four to six weeks, so this is quite unusual for us, but it's, uh, I think, um, obviously I wouldn't do it otherwise, I think it's worthwhile because we are studying the book of Exodus, and the theme or the title of this series is The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. Because the book of Exodus, the word Exodus means exit. And the book of Exodus is about God leading his people who were in bondage or in slavery in Egypt out of that slavery into freedom. And a lot of us here this morning could tell stories about how God has intersected our lives and led us out of uh, aspects of freedom, I mean aspects of bondage or slavery to sin that has restrained us or kept us from the life that God intended for us, but he has liberated us so that we are now beginning to experience what God meant for life to be like. And God did that for his people in Egypt when he liberated them from slavery, and only he could do it. He, he uh, by his miraculous and mighty power set his people free. But that's only one half of the deliverance process. God setting us free and only he can do it. The other half is, has a lot to do with you and me and how we stay free, how we learn to live in the freedom that God has brought to us. And when the children of Israel were journeying from Egypt to the fulfillment of God's promises, on their way to the promised land, they came to Mount Sinai where God gave them the Ten Commandments through Moses. God himself carved in stone these Ten Commandments. I like to call them the compassionate commandments because they are from the heart of God to us. These things help us know how to stay free. If we pay attention to them, if we live our lives according to what God has given us here, we will experience ongoing liberty in him. And that's the point and the reason why he gave us the Ten Commandments. And we've been learning how to remember the Ten Commandments using the ten fingers on our two hands. We're not going to rehearse that today. Um, because we've got a lot to talk about, but we're co we've come to the seventh commandment. And if you know, we work from the right hand to the left, and then we've come to your ring finger on your left hand, and it's called a ring finger because there's a reminder there that uh, serves us with regard to the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Those of us who are married, we have a very uh, tangible reminder of the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And this... Uh, teaching or this commandment is focused on sexual purity. And that is a huge subject. I don't know, you may have uh, been uh, unaware, but the Bible has a lot to say about sex and about sexuality. God is not embarrassed by the subject. He's not hiding it. He wants us to know this, the, this amazing gift that he's given to us as human beings. Uh, but we tend to um, ignore the things that God has to say about it. And that's where we kind of get things mis messed up. And so we're going to try to look at a very thin slice of a very big subject and get some uh, sense of what God meant for um, our sexuality to be about. And so that's what we're doing today. 
Monday, this past Monday, I went to Target, the department store, to return uh, something that, that uh, my, well, to be honest, my son and daughter-in-law gave me this great Father's Day gift in advance, and it didn't fit, which is not a pleasant experience. <laughs> you know, you have to face some things you don't like to face when that happens. Anyway, I had to return it because they didn't, uh, it wasn't something they could, I could exchange. You know, I'm standing in line at, uh, at Target, and on the wall there where you, where you go to return things, uh, they had the weekly circular with all their ads, and this one is the Mother's Day ad. This is the Mother's Day ad. And in that Mother's Day, special Mother's Day ad, is this ad for a special edition of the DVD uh, Blu-ray set of Fifty Shades of Grey. By the way, an unrated version of this film, along with a really swell little journal and pen. <laughs> I, 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 I couldn't believe it, really. I, I, I mean, I know... Our culture has gotten very perverse and very coarse in so many ways, but I honestly, I could not, for the life of me, grasp how these two things, motherhood and pornography, go together. Just blew my mind. But that's the world we live in. So the seventh commandment speaks to our world and to us. And so this morning we're going to take a look at what the Bible has to say a little bit Again, I, I just confess up front, we can't, we're not going to be able to deal with this subject in depth at all. And we're not going to cover a lot of things. We're going to bump up against subjects that we're not going to be able to, to, uh, to explore um, in depth. And I apologize for that to begin with. But um, I just, I, I, you know, I know we need to talk about the subject. So uh, we're going to do our best to to uh, get a foundational viewpoint and then maybe follow up later with some other things. Let's begin with some definitions. First of all, the Bible uh, describes uh, or uses the term adultery and in our minds the word adultery often is a very specific thing where a married person is having sexual relationships with someone other than their marriage partner, their spouse. But the Bible uses this term in a much broader sense. I asked you to turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll see why right here. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus is speaking. And he says, you have heard it said, or you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. So he quotes the seventh commandment. But I say to you, verse 28 says, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He has broadened the, the definition of adultery uh, beyond anything uh, that most of us would be comfortable with. He's talking about, he's using this term uh, as something that addresses any sexual activity outside of marriage between one man and one woman. That means, obviously, extramarital sex, premarital sex, masturbation, homosexuality, fantasy, pornography, the list could go on. He has gathered all of that up and said the seventh commandment. Jesus said this. The seventh commandment addresses all of that. It's about all of that. 
The other definition I need to put before you today is that I, I'm saying that this, the seventh commandment is about sexual purity. And what I mean by that is that sexuality as God intended. Sex as God intended it, pure and unpolluted. Now, I'm going to go on and finish reading this passage, verse 29 of, ch- of chapter 5. If, you, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. We'll come back and talk some more about all of that in a little bit. But I wanted to get it uh, on uh, on the stove simmering a little bit in the background for us right now. You may not realize this, but sex was God's idea, okay? Hollywood didn't make this up. This wasn't, uh, you, know, the, you know, your friend Sally, who was the 10th grade slut. It wasn't her idea, okay? This was God's idea. He gave us as human beings an incredible gift. An incredible, undescribable gift. And most of the time when we think in our thinking about it, we leave him completely out of the picture. We don't even consider the fact this is a gift from God. But we're not going to be able to go any farther until we get that. Sex was God's idea. And sex was given to us for pleasure as well as procreation. It wasn't just about having babies. It was about pleasure as well. The very first commandment, the very first thing that God ever said to human beings was be fruitful and multiply. Go have babies. Well, having babies involves sexual intercourse. That was God's very first command. There's a book in the Old Testament called Song of Solomon. The entire book, the entire book is a very explicit and very lovely love poem. But it is so explicit that Hebrew children were not allowed to read it until they reached puberty. It's, that's in the Bible. God put that there. Now, when you go home today, you're probably going to want to look that one up. <laughs> but it's so great because we tend to think of sexuality and, and sex as something uh, not lovely. But God thinks of it as so beautiful, so wonderful. Why wouldn't you put it front and center? Why wouldn't you include it in the word of God, which he does? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, God says to, uh, through the apostle Paul, he says uh, that husbands and wives are not to deprive sexual relations with one another except by mutual agreement and for a short period of time so they can seek the Lord. But he says, be careful that you, that, that doesn't be, ex, get extended. You know, that doesn't become a way of living. And he says, and, and he implies, you don't do that for, uh, to, uh, uh, you don't use sex as a, a weapon against your, withholding sex as a weapon against your spouse either. He said that this is meant to be, we are supposed to be enjoying this gift from God. But it was also God's idea for so much more. So much more. And we'll talk about that some this morning too. But according to Jesus, what we just read, according to the word of God, 
Marriage is the only context for sexual experience. It's the only context. It is the setting. Some of you right now, you have a ring or a necklace or a bracelet or something that has a gemstone in it. And that, uh, the thing that makes it jewelry is the setting. Without the setting, it's just a polished rock. It's the setting, the context of that setting that makes it jewelry. God says in his word that marriage is that setting. It's that context. And it's the only one. Now, <clears throat> uh, you know, I, my, I get, I, this past week I went out to the store to buy a Mother's Day card for Sue. I went to... And I looked at a bunch of them, and I, so I took a long time thinking about which one I'd like to give her, selected that one, went home and thought long and hard about what I would write in that card. I wrote that down. I gave that to her. I meant for that to be a, a, a gift to her that she would cherish, that, that would be a blessing to her life. If she took that and uh, threw it in the drawer with the scrap paper that we use for uh, taking notes when people call on the phone or stuff like that, that would have hurt me. But more than that, it would have diminished the value of that gift to her. She, and, now, you can, you, she could use that card for note paper. But it's not going to be the same as what I intended for it to be. You know, if somebody gave you a $500,000 Ferrari, handmade Ferrari, you could use that for mud racing. But if you did, you would be diminishing the value of that gift, right? God has given us an amazing gift. But as human beings, as a culture, we tend to use this uh, amazing gift in ways that diminish its value. It's not that you can't have sex outside of marriage. But when you do, you're not experiencing what God intended for it to be, and diminishing the value to you of that gift. So marriage is the setting. It's the only one. And <clears throat> there's a word in the Bible I'd like to, to bring to your attention with regard to this. It's the word chupa. Uh, I'm going to ask you not to say that because you'll probably spit on somebody if you do. Chupa. There's always one, right? <laughs> now, a chuppah is the canopy that uh, Jewish uh, couples stand under when they pledge their marriage vows. Now, I've conducted, I don't even know how many weddings in my life as a minister. And a lot of times, whether they're Jewish or not, in fact, I don't ever recall performing a Jewish wedding, but... <laughs> whether they're Jewish or not, a lot of times couples want to stand under an arbor or a, a, some sort of canopy of, of some design. And I think most couples, when they do that, they're not even really thinking why except beyond a, a tradition or something that they've seen or, or just the, the aesthetics of it. But the reason that a Jewish couple would stand under the chuppah, which often is just a very simple affair, a couple of poles or four poles, I guess, and... Um, what often is a, a Jewish prayer shawl hanging over that. It's not, not anything elaborate. They stand under that. The reason they do 
is to symbolize that when they, as they enter into marriage, they're stepping into an exclusive place. Nothing else and no one else belongs there. It's just for the two of them. This word chupa is used in the Bible three times in the Old Testament. One time in Psalm 19, verse 5, it's used to describe the bridegroom's chamber. Another time in Joel chapter 2, it's used to describe the bride's dressing room. These are very private spaces just for the bride and groom. The third time that it's used is in Isaiah chapter 4 where it says that God puts a canopy, a chupa, over his people to protect and preserve them. And this is such a beautiful uh, expression and example of how God sees marriage in terms of so many things, but not the least of which is our sexuality. It's a place for just two. And God preserves and protects that. And it's his intention that we don't bring into that place. We don't pollute that place, that sacred, holy space with other previous experiences other attitudes and thoughts. We don't allow our concept of marriage to be so porous so that the, that the boundary, the limitation the, is, is uh, so fuzzy that, that, we, that other things are in there. You understand what I mean? It's a place preserved. It's supposed to be a place preserved for two because that's where in that context where sex thrives, it's where the gift that God meant for it to be is revealed. Where there's no competition. There's no comparisons going on. There's n- nothing but just two who are experiencing the absolute safety of that and intimacy of that place. That's, that's how God views the sacredness of the chupa and the role that it has as the context of this amazing gift called sex. Now we read in Matthew chapter 5 that preserving this exclusive place for sex and how we think about it and how we inhabit uh, our lives is worth preserving. It's worth sacrificing for. In fact, he says that, you know, if your right hand offends you, or excuse me, your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. Those are pretty severe actions to be taking. But he said the chupa is so valuable. It's worth every sacrifice. I mean, we, we treat the exclusivity of marriage so lightly, but God does not. God does not. It's worth sacrificing for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, it says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, that he does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's the only place where the Bible seems to indicate that there's a kind of, a type of sin that is different than others. Now, it isn't different in the fact that it's harder for God to forgive. It isn't different in the fact that God 
you know, somehow holds it against you more than other things. That's, that's not any, anything related to God at all. He's not like that in any way. But the impact on my life and your life when we, when we violate uh, God's uh, plans regarding our sexuality, the impact on our lives is greater than other forms of sin. The other, other ways that we, that we rebel against God, those are things that are kind of outside of us, but sexual um, violations affect me in pretty profound and deep ways. And so God says this is worth every sacrifice. It's worth getting ruthless about, serious about. In fact, he says that it's better to lose your hand than to have your whole body be cast into hell. Is this some sort of threat from an angry God? You know, shape up, straighten up, you guys, as if you don't, you're headed to hell. No, that, that's not God. That's the guy with the sandwich board sign and the blow, you know, the bullhorn out in the corner. That's him. That's not God, though. But what he is saying here, hell, listen, beyond everything else that hell is, it is a place where God is not. And he says that if you start down this path, ignoring what I have to say to you about this, it's taking you and your lovemaking to a place where I'm not. He's serious about it. It's worth sacrificing for and violating it takes us to a place where God is not. Now, <clears throat> the reason it's worth so much is because sex is not simply a quest for orgasm. It's not just recreation. So much more, so much more. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. That's the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to read it, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever uh, Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to, the, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I've always thought this is curious. God makes this incredible statement. It's not good that man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper comparable to him. And then the very next thing that happens is that he takes all of the animal kingdom and parades them in front of Adam and involves Adam in this process of naming all creation, which in and of itself is an amazing story, and we, won't, we don't have time to deal with that right now. But they seem to be two completely different things. It's not good for Adam to be alone. I'm going to make a helper. I'm going to make someone who completes him. I'm going to make someone to share life with him, about, uh, someone to share life with him. And then, all right, by the way, let's name all the animals. Why did he do that? It's not, they don't, um, those two things are not disconnected. God wanted to make sure that Adam knew from the very beginning 
of any relationship that he would have with this woman God would make for him. He wanted Adam to understand we are not animals. Adam got a close, an up close and personal understanding of what that means. God did not make for Adam a mate. He did not make for Adam. We were made for so much more. We were made for relationships deeper than just the genetics, biology, and instinct. And God wanted Adam to get that before he brought him this wonderful gift of Eve. We're going to go on and read some more there in just a minute, but I just want to let that, have you let that sink in for a minute. Please forgive me for what I'm going to say. Uh, I'm uncomfortable doing it, but I just feel like it's something that we got to face up to. My brother, I'm talking to men right now. My brother, you are not a walking penis. You hear me? But we act like it sometimes. And our culture surely reinforces that idea. Ladies, your value, your value, your worth is not associated with your cleavage. We were made for so much more. And God wanted that point to get firmly established with Adam and with Eve. We are not animals. Our sexuality is an expression of deep intimacy. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. And these verses describe uh, intimacy that the first couple shared at the three dimensions of their life, spirit, soul, and body. And most of the time in our culture, we get this intimacy thing reversed. Where we begin with a physical intimacy that may lead to an intimacy of soul. And rarely to an intimacy of spirit. God meant for it to be just the opposite. Adam and Eve had no context for their relationship except God. He brought her to the man. He was the reason they were a couple. They did not have any way of understanding or defining their relationship other than God. They began with a spiritual intimacy. That 
led to this expression of, of Adam recorded here for us. Wow, wow, she's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. We, we have so much in common. We share, a, 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 I don't even know, I mean, I don't know where I end and she begins. She's bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And there she, he's describing an intimacy of soul, of intellect and emotion, of caring, deep. And then as a celebration of those levels of intimacy, it says they became one flesh. They were naked and unashamed. They had an intimacy of, of, the, of their physicality that celebrated much deeper intimacies. That's how God meant for sex to be. That's what it was designed for. But none of us are perfect. Every one of us always comes to what God would speak to us out of his word uh, messed up. And so you can hear things like I'm talking about today and you can think, well, I, count me out on that. I've got, I've got too much mileage behind me. I've got too much you know, debris in my past. Inside of my chupa, there's a bunch of junk. And a lot of us, that's true. I remember... I, I, very clearly, I mean, I was, Sue and I were getting married. I, was, I had just turned 19 on the 8th of April. We were getting married on May 25th. So we're about ready to celebrate another anniversary here. And, uh, I, you know, we, we loved Jesus. We were devoted to him. And we'd been dating for a couple of years. And even though we were young, we were ready to get married. There was no point in us continuing to postpone that. But we were both virgins, which is a good thing, by the way, <laughs> just so you know. Um, but I, I started to think, well, you know what, I, I ought to probably learn something about this whole sex thing. Um, now, don't get the wrong impression. I was pretty good with the plumbing. I kind of had that <laughs> figured out. But I just wanted to make sure that I, you know. So I went to the Bible bookstore and I bought a Christian book by a Christian author about sex and marriage. They put it in a brown paper bag. Anyway, I, <laughs> I took it home, and I pulled the book out, and I was going to sit down and learn some stuff. And clear as a bell, I mean clear as a bell, you think what you want about this, but I'm telling you, as clear as a bell, I heard God say to me, don't you dare. I, I did not comprehend. I mean, I knew God was talking to me. There was no question about that. But I didn't comprehend what the big deal was. It seemed like a natural thing, right? This is a Christian book, God. What are you, it's not like Playboy or something. I mean, this is a Christian book. And the Lord, no, the Lord was adamant about that. And, I, and uh, this was one time when I, I you know, I know I, I did the right thing. And even though as a young guy I didn't have a whole lot of money and I'd spent good money on this book, I took it directly to the garbage can and threw it in there. And it wasn't until later that I understood that God did not want for me to bring anyone else's ideas about sex, any previous experiences, to my marriage bed. 
He wanted to keep my chupa clear. And that boundary of marriage hard and solid. That the intimacy that happens there is, is sheltered from every other thing. Now, you know, I tell you that because, not because um, I'm boasting. I'm telling you that because I want you to see that God is serious about this and why it's serious, why he's serious about it, why it's important. But I also want you to know that I understand none of us are perfect in this regard. There are things about all of how our, the, the way that we've conducted ourselves sexually in this, wor- in this world that are not pure. But we are not uh, left to just, you know, deal with it. We have a forgiving, restoring, cleansing God. And he can help us reclaim the chuppah. I want to ask you to turn with me to one more verse and I promise you'll get out of here. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Way back in the New Testament now. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm not going to read it, but beginning at verse 9, there's a list of all kinds of uh, sexual sins and other, uh, other, you know, very um, despicable stuff. But verse 11 says this, And such were some of you. But. Now if you have a pen on you, you should underline that word. That is probably the most important word in the whole of the Bible. But. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Wherever we are, at any point in our lives where we are outside the will of God, we have a restoring, redeeming God who wants to cleanse us, who wants to sanctify him. By the way, that means set apart. That is so applicable to what we're talking about. Wants to restore that set apartness of our lives. And he can justify us. And you've heard me say this before. That word justified means just as if I'd never sinned. God is able, dear one. If you're married today, God is able to help you clean house in the chuppah. If you're unmarried today, God is able to set you up for a different future with regard to your sexuality than the course you are on. But it's going to involve two things. It's going to involve repentance and involves saying to God, God, I get, I get that there's some overhaul needs to be done here in my life, in my thinking and in my practice, in my history. And it's going to involve the restoring work of our amazing God. But He is able.
This is recording number 11160 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, May 10, 2015. This is the 13th message in a series titled, The Exit, A Journey to Freedom. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Sexual Purity.